You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. This morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness and what that looks like. Uh, you know, as a, as a, um, a dad, you know, I practice uh, trying to get forgiveness uh, working out with kids that are in conflict, you know, and forgiveness can feel like a, a cheap a punch pass or get out of jail, or get out of quiet time, uh, or get out of the uh, time out for free just a little bit. But forgiveness is a real deal. It was actually a very central uh, feature to the ministry of Jesus Christ. The problem with forgiveness is that uh, we have past hurts or experiences uh, in life where we feel like maybe we don't know how to forgive, maybe because it wasn't modeled to us really well in our own household. Um, forgiveness, the word actually means to let go. It means to let something go. And some of you today, you're carrying a a hurt or an offense against you um, that has been way too long. And, you know, in the scene that we just saw where this woman is caught in adultery, there's kind of two kind of people that I want you to try to place your foot into their shoes and find yourself. The woman that was caught in adultery, she feels unforgivable. She feels like she could not find forgiveness and she understands that her consequences are are incredibly severe. Maybe you feel unforgivable. Maybe you've committed an act, uh, uh, some kind of action that you feel like, man, could God ever truly forgive me? Um, Then there's the other group in the storyline that we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of John this morning is the people that are unforgiving. Unforgiving people have a real hard time letting things go. And the word forgiveness literally means to let go or to send away or to cut loose. When you struggle with unforgiveness, you have failed to let something go. It just stays in your heart. You say to me, I've heard it before, how could I ever forgive somebody if I cannot forget it? You know, one way to think about that is that what stays in your mind doesn't have to stay and camp out in your heart. And as we look at the life of Jesus and how he interacts and how he uh, models forgiveness for us, we're going to learn ourselves how we can be a forgiving people. The hangups and the problems with forgiveness is that there's a lot of past experiences that influence our present behaviors and our beliefs. I don't know what kind of family you came out of or the season or situation you find yourself in when it comes to forgiveness, but maybe uh, you fit one of these one of these case studies, one of these examples I'm about to share with you. These are all stories that I've sat and counseled with and walked through. Situations where there's high levels of unforgiveness or there's folks that feel completely unforgivable. Maybe you've had a spouse that's been unfaithful to you and you are greatly offended. And maybe you took the, the, the opportunity the allowance that the Bible makes when there's a marital unfaithfulness to, re- to get a divorce. And you've struggled from that point forward because you haven't forgiven the other spouse with trust and love and to live well because you have buried in your heart unforgiving attitudes and actions. Resentment kind of builds up, anger, hurt, and mistrust. And unforgiving people always have a hard time uh, not polarizing things. 
when they're unforgiving, that unforgiveness will settle in the human heart and it begins to kind of make people paranoid about another situation that could hurt them. Unforgiving people is what we're going to be looking at today. Unforgivable people. People that feel they could not receive any forgiveness. Unforgivable person, maybe you've made a foolish decision. Maybe you've got yourself into a financial catastrophe. Or you've found yourself in a habitual pattern of sin and hurt. And you're trying to move forward, but somehow you can't. Maybe you've asked for forgiveness from God. Maybe you've asked forgiveness from your spouse or others that you've hurt and offended. And you find yourself trying to atone for your sins. Trying to make it right. And you find yourself in the pool of despair or you find yourself climbing the mountain of holiness or you find yourself trying to run on the treadmill of moral behavior. But it's never good enough and you're exhausted. And you feel unforgivable because of the things that you've done and you question whether God in His love could ever forgive such a person as you. Or maybe to forgive a person who keeps habitually and repeatedly keeps going and failing time after time. Or maybe you feel like you are an unforgiving person and you struggle. Maybe your father or mother hurt you, abused you. Maybe you've never forgiven them and you carry that a weight around you and that resentment it has been building for years and you're like a time bomb. You can't forget the things that have been done against you. And therefore, somehow in a skewed theological position, you have said, therefore, I cannot forgive. Christians ought to be some of the most forgiving people. And I want to express to you my deepest level of sympathy and understanding. As a pastor who started this church five years ago, we started our grand opening. I have been accused, slandered, attacked in so many different ways that I did not imagine would happen. For horrendous and stupid things. Slander is saying false accusations. Gossip is talking about something that's true and then stretching it. And it has brought tremendous hurt upon me and my wife, my kids. And you know, um, even recently, uh, in any transition where you're doing really great things, you can expect there's going to be trouble. Even in moving out here on this campus um, and transitioning out of the movie theaters, there were some mean statements and things that were said against me and my wife. And uh, we made a decision to forgive the person. And just a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from the individual and they said, hey, I'm, I admit, listen to this apology, this is a good one. I admit, I was not entirely Christ-like in my behavior. I'm like, yeah, more like devil-like, you know, but they say, I admit, I was not as Christ-like in my behavior. Please forgive me. And I thought, I wrote him back, and I said, we have forgiven you a long time ago. And uh, we love you, and we love your family, and wish you well. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Don't confuse that. My trust for this individual, it will take time. Forgiveness, though, is so important, because emotionally it allows me, when I forgive people, right, and you forgive people, you get to send it away, let it go, let loose. But in my mind, I will never forget what those 
people that have offended me or hurt me have done, right? Just like you. There are people that will hurt you, say things against you, and you will feel violated or you feel offended or hurt in every single way. God doesn't expect you to brainwash yourself and have spiritual amnesia where you forget everything. You can pray for short-term memory. But in the heart, you don't have to carry that weight. Some of you have practical challenges where you just, you never were modeled how to forgive or how to ask for forgiveness. That just wasn't in your household, even as a Christian. You, you never saw that. So there's practical challenges in knowing, who do I forgive? What do I forgive people for? When, where, and why? Or then there's the pluralistic blurring of religious views in American spirituality, where it is like Starbucks, where you can get a million different flavors on one kind of drink. The church today is blurred with all sorts of pluralistic views on forgiveness and in our spiritual culture, and the media perpetuates it. Ideas of forgiveness are major themes of major movies. Maybe your view of forgiveness is blurred by a pluralistic blurring of religious views. Even in the Catholic Church, there's a confusion as to how do you get forgiveness? Do you go through the priest or do you need to get help from the Pope or do you make some pilgrimage? Or in Judaism, there's an understanding of forgiveness, but it's a limited experience. And then you wonder, well, am I forgiven or not? Or in Buddhism, likewise, there's nothing of a forgiving God. Or in Islam, there's the idea of forgiveness, but there is no personal loving God. Not in Islam. Or in Hinduism, you pay the consequences of karma for good deeds or bad deeds. And you never know where you're at in the wheel of reincarnation. You know, in Christianity stands distinctly different. Um, Christianity, there is a loving God. There is a forgiving Heavenly Father. In the ministry of Jesus, what we're focusing on here this morning, it was central to his ministry and to his message. Before Jesus ever even showed up, the, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, that which is conceived within you is from the Holy Spirit. He is the one that will save his people from their sins. The ministry of Jesus was uh, foretold uh, about this forgiveness that he would offer. John the Baptist, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Forgiveness was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Forgiveness is at the end of Jesus' ministry. Just last week, we saw when Jesus heals the paralytic. Before he heals his broken, crippled, paralytic legs, he heals his paralyzed heart by saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then at the cross, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he's being crucified by criminals, He's being crucified by, by Roman leaders and crucified with criminals. He says out loud, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let's look at his forgiveness. To say the least, Jesus' forgiveness is controversial. This is what will get him crucified. Last week we learned in Mark chapter 2 about the paralytic that was seeking healing. His friends brought him, tore open the roof, set him down. 
And it says, and now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And says, verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Blaspheming means to slander a deity or a sacred thing, to say false things. And Jesus was being accused of blasphemy. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great question. Jesus was claiming to be God. In his pardoning of divine, the divine judgment that this gentleman was uh, due, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can forgive sins in the divine sense of judgment but God. Blasphemy was punishable by death and by Jesus saying that he, his message and his ministry dealt with forgiveness. What we just saw this morning was a perfect example of the ministry of Jesus about forgiveness. So let's look. John chapter 7 is where we'll be picking up and on the, uh, the historical account where an eyewitness watches how Jesus is going to interact with this woman who's been caught in adultery. Verse 53 says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Some believe that maybe he had stayed out by uh, Lazarus, Lazarus' house. He was a friend of Jesus, but was in the area. Um, others believe maybe he camped out at the Mount of Olives. Nonetheless, it says in verse 2, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Again and again and again, Jesus is interacting with a Jewish culture that had been awaiting some Messiah, wondering if this was the guy. Jesus goes straight to the place, the hub of activity. And it says in the Bible, all the people came to him, all sorts of people, the cynics, the skeptics, the up and in, the down and out. Everybody had an interest in this controversial preacher from Nazareth. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Sitting down was actually a sign of, of authority. As soon as he would sit, everybody else would sit. It was a way to reason. In Jewish culture, Jesus enters into culture and reasons and teaches amongst them. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, these were religious leaders, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? It's very interesting because they want to know, is Jesus going to keep on doing this forgiveness ministry thing? Because he just had forgiven this other guy who was a paralytic. Now this woman is clearly caught. It's interesting to me, they, they brought a woman. Why didn't they bring a man? Why'd they have to bring the woman? In, in culture, there was a fewer rights for women than there were for men. And they're bringing somebody that would be easily accused and could be condemned. It looks a bit fishy to me as I, I look at the text and see this scenario. Because the next verse tells us in verse 6, it says, they said, they said to test him. This they said to test him that they might have a charge to bring against him. They were already accusing him of blasphemy. To slander. Saying he was God. Now they're going to see if he'll break the law of Moses. Undoubtedly, I need you to know that the, God's law is perfect. And the consequence of not meeting that law is, is death. And so in a sense, they're charging this woman correctly 
under Old Testament law that she would be punishable by death because God's plan and purpose for marriage has been and always will be is faithfulness. It's, it's being together. And this woman is caught in adultery, supposedly. And they bring her to him. Jesus says this about the law. He says statements like this. I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. What we're going to see that Jesus is going to do is he's going to step in the place of the woman where she's guilty. He'll, he'll take on that, that, that consequence of that sin. We're going to see that Jesus is going to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. This woman finds herself in a predicament where she is unforgivable. She feels that way. Now maybe a priest from the Jewish community could come forward and make some kind of sacrifice that would atone for sins in a limited sense. But how many more sacrifices would need to be made? What Jesus is doing is he's, in his divine plan and purpose, is he's demonstrating that he will fulfill the law and he will stand in that place of that guilty sinner. And he will take upon himself the whole sins of the world. And he'll do away with the punishment that needed to be made. They said this, verse 6 says, to test him. They're constantly testing Jesus that they may have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus does this. He bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. What in the world did he write? What would you write? The Bible doesn't really tell us what he wrote. But let's look at the context and see what it says. And the response, verse 6, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. What was he doing? You know, it's a bit speculation. The Bible doesn't say what he wrote on the ground. But whatever he wrote on the ground, I believe, convicted the hearts of everybody around. I believe maybe he pointed towards one of the other commandments because they're trying to uh, take the law of Moses and apply it against her for punishment. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Maybe he used the same law that they were looking at trying to condemn her to pardon her. He says this, He says this to them, we're going to see, is that uh, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. The truth is, is every single one of them at one point had sinned. Maybe Jesus wrote down on the ground, Exodus 20, 17, that says, thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Maybe that group of unforgiving men who were trying to drag this woman into a situation and get Jesus um, accused of blaspheming again. Maybe they wrote Exodus 20, 17 that says, Thou shalt not covet. It means to want or desire or to lust after another man's wife. Right then and there, we see that Jesus' forgiveness is consistent. He's trying to level the playing field. Every single one of those people that are in the crowd that day had had a violation of the law at some level. What we need to see in the forgiveness of Jesus is that, and we will see, is that Jesus' forgiveness is consistent. Acts 10.43 of the New Testament says, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. 
Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' forgiveness is consistent. And some of you say, well, could I, is some sins little and some sins big and the big sins that are unforgivable? Because that's exactly what's going on with these religious scribes and Pharisees. They're saying she was caught in adultery, therefore she should be condemned. And Jesus is somehow, he's leveling the playing field with whatever he wrote on the ground to convict their hearts to say, no, 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 it's bigger than that. If you don't have any sin in your life, why don't you just, uh, then you go ahead and, and throw, throw the first stone. The, the, in essence, what Jesus is saying is that nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But he is perfect. You know, as a, uh, before I came to know Christ, I got into a lot of trouble uh, with my community, my family, my church, my school. And uh, during a season of dark rebellion, I remember I was on this, uh, I was invited to go to this church retreat, and they had this enormous five-story statue of Jesus and his arms outstretched wide. And I remember walking up there back in the day when iPods did not exist, and I was on a Walkman radio, and like if I show my kid a tape today, they would think it's a foreign object, they wouldn't have any clue as to what it was. But it was on a Walkman radio, and I was listening to ACDC, cranking it out. And my mantra was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's where I was at. And uh, I was so hurt and angry because I saw my family live a Christian life, and I thought it was just rules, and I didn't understand a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I never could be good at the rules. I was never good at keeping rules. And so I didn't ever understand the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, And I pursued all the pleasures that the world could offer. And I found myself angry, hurt, and frustrated. And on this retreat, um, I went up to the statue and I cursed it. I said, I don't want any presence of your life in my life. I don't want any moral conscience. And from that point, I began to spiral into a darkness. And uh, I blasphemed. I blasphemed against Jesus. I slandered him. And I remember thinking later I became a Christian and it was a radical conversion story. And I sensed forgiveness. I sensed that maybe he would forgive me because I understood, begin to understand Jesus forgives the little sins and the big sins. But could he really forgive the big sins? One of these verses haunted me in Matthew 12, 31. It says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Remember, I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I was under the teaching of Dr. Pentecost. Take that for a name in a seminary. Dr. Pentecost, I'm sitting there, and I asked him, I said, Dr. Pentecost, I was studying the life of Christ. I said, do you think Jesus forgives me? Because I blasphemed him. And he said, son, this text is not something anybody could... uh, commit today. Blasphemy against the Spirit of God like that was rejection of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked the earth in all fullness, 100% man, 100% God, to reject the Spirit of God and the work of the Spirit of God in the life of Christ, so to reject, reject the very person and the work of Jesus Christ. The only people that will stand unforgiven are the people that never received Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Acts 10.43. 
Jesus' forgiveness is consistent. This was the message of the church. This was the message Jesus preached. This is the message that the apostles preached. Acts 10.43 says, let's read that aloud. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive forgiveness of sins. You can receive that. Jesus' forgiveness is consistent. He's leveling the playing fields. Is it a violation for little sins? Yes. Is it a violation for big sins? Yes. Adultery is not the only sin that he sees in that crowd. He sees coveting. He sees lust. He sees lies. He sees deception. Third thing we're going to learn is Jesus' forgiveness brings comfort. Look what it says in verse 9. But when they heard it, they heard the message. They finally got it. Whatever he wrote in the ground, it clicks. When they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones, why would, why would the older ones leave? They probably had the most scriptural knowledge. And maybe when Jesus bent down that second time, maybe he circled it. Maybe he drew some arrows on it, pointing to the different people. You older guys, you know you've struggled with this. He puts a big arrow on it. The older ones left first. Look what it says. How comforting this would be. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Does he take up his stone and strike her across the head? Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Where are they? Some of you feel like you should be condemned because of your sin. You stand in a place of feeling unforgiveness and the Lord invites you in. And he removes your accusers and whispers to you. Who, does, who really matters? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. She gets it. She gets grace. She gets forgiveness. She gets in that moment, he's the one they've been talking about. He's that Messiah, that one that the angel Gabriel said, behold, this is the person who'll take away the sins of the world. She gets it. Jesus' forgiveness brings comfort. Why? Because it brings freedom. It doesn't bring condemnation. Jesus' forgiveness brings comfort because instead of condemnation, there's reconciliation. There's peace. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Why will Jesus pardon her? Because he perfectly fulfills the Mosaic law. He is the perfect picture of humanity. He stands in her place. He'll take the death that she should have died. He will serve as a substitute for the consequences of sin. He foresees the cross. And on that cross is every sin of every person that has confessed their sins to the Lord. And upon him was the punishment that should have been ours. Lawbreakers, liars, adulterers, murderers. In this room, we have every single kind of lawbreaker. Nobody's perfect. But you can stand forgiven. You are forgiven. Christians are not perfect, but Christians are forgiven. Jesus doesn't give a free punch pass or a get-out-of-jail card. No, he paid the price. 
He went to the prison in the sense of he stood on the cross and he was echoes out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because he bore upon himself every sin in the world and sin isolates us and hurts us and damages that fellowship that we could have with God. Jesus' forgiveness is challenging. Look what he says. Go now, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus is not only loving, but he's also just. He calls her out of a life of sin. And so many of us, we struggle with forgiveness, maybe because we stand in a, in a process in our own life, and we feel unforgivable, like the woman caught in adultery. If you've looked at pornography, the Bible says that you've lusted in your own heart and you've already committed adultery in, a, in that sense. Every single one of us blow it in some level or another. If you've coveted or desired something else, somebody that know, other than God's purpose and plan for your life, then you've coveted and you've broken the law. So how do we get out of here? How do we get out of this guilt trip all the time? We look to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' forgiveness is costly. It cost him his very life. You don't have to pay for that sin. Jesus did. You don't have to atone for sins. You don't need to do that. Some of you are very unforgiving people because you don't have the concept of forgiveness down in your life very well. And so what you do is you try to tell people that other people have to atone for their sins by good works. Let me give you a break. They'll never do it right. They'll never do it right. The only person that can perfectly live out life is the person of Jesus Christ. We've got the cross. We've got Jesus, the greatest gift giver. And he offers forgiveness even at the cross. Is he echoes that message again. Look what he says. When they came, Luke's gospel records an eyewitness account. When they came to the place called the skull, that is Golgotha, on that mountaintop, they crucified him along with criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus echoes out forgiveness even at the cross. Every sin that you've committed, here's the good news, it's all been paid for. Do you receive that gift? Every unspeakable, unthinkable, irrational action that you've ever made that you're ashamed of has been paid for. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross accomplishes forgiveness. When we sit every Sunday and we take, forgiveness, or we take communion, it's like we're receiving and reminding ourselves of the forgiveness that we have. Jesus commanded when the early church started and church planters started going out of Jerusalem, he said, preach forgiveness of sins to all nations. When we do communion, we're entering into a featured ministry that was central to the message in, in the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is a hallmark of Christianity. Some of you say, well, I have a problem with forgiving others. So how do I do that? You know, Christians ought to be some of the most forgiving people in the world. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is you absolutely do need to forgive others. If you're married, oh my, I'm sure your spouse has offended you, hurt you. Why? Because your spouse is not perfect. And give them a break. Nobody's perfect. 
If they haven't sinned against you today, maybe they will tomorrow. If they haven't hurt you or broken your heart or made you mad, maybe they will tomorrow. So what will you do? How do you respond? Should you just say, I need you to prove yourself and make sure you're really good before I accept you again? That's anti-Christian. That's not the way the Lord treats us. You, you don't have to have reconciliation to forgive. Forgiving others. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae. He says he's pleading with them. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Somebody's lied against you. Somebody slept with somebody they weren't supposed to. Somebody did this or did that. The Bible doesn't say celebrate with each other. It says bear with one another. Do you ever feel like you're there when people hurt you? Loved ones, friends, family, co-workers. You just feel like you're just getting through. That's bearing one another's burdens. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. How do we do that? Look to the cross. Look what the Bible says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Lord didn't say, you better perform and then we can talk. The woman caught in adultery didn't say a word. She was guilty. And he looks at her. Her confession is this, Lord. She looks to him as Lord. If you've got Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you look to him to forgive you. And as you experience that forgiveness through Christ, you can give that forgiveness to others. Charles Hedden Spurgeon, famous preacher, um, once said, long passed away, but said this, cultivate forbearance, meaning like you got to cultivate bearing with one another. It, it's something you got to work at. And then he said, when it comes to forgiveness, if you're struggling to forgive others, pray for a short-term memory. Pray that you don't remember all those things. You know, forgiving others is a hard thing to do because you think, well, if I have it in my mind, how in the world could I forgive in my heart? Well, what's, what is on your mind doesn't have to remain in your heart. The Bible, the Bible is true and true all the way through. The heart is the most important issue. That's your chief responsibility. Tend the heart. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. Your offense that's been made against you. It's a heart issue. And you have to ask the question, do I want this to remain in my heart through life? Because it will never leave your mind. Hello, I am a human. I understand. I get it. God does not expect you to brainwash yourself and have amnesia. He knows you have a mind. But what is in your mind doesn't have to remain in your heart. You can, as the literal forgiveness word means, to let it go. To send it away. Don't, don't let it camp out and set up shop. It'll paranoia you. It'll paralyze you. It'll polarize everything you see in life. A bitterness and unforgiveness. Some of you need to forgive others. They have greatly offended you and hurt you. And the best thing you can do is forgive. As you do that, remember you're entering into the very most sacred ministry of Jesus Christ. And the historical ministry of the church. Secondly, I want to encourage you in forgiveness is ask someone to forgive you. The practicals. How do you do that? You say things like this. Hey, I admit I was wrong. I admit 
that what I did was wrong. I admit it's called sin. It is inexcusable. It's not your fault. It's my fault. It's taking responsibility. And then acknowledging, acknowledging the impact that it has on other people. Every time you sin against somebody, it hurts them. It literally hurts them. And if you don't deal with the hurt, then you'll just keep hurting. And asking someone to forgive you, you acknowledge and say, look, what I've done against you, I acknowledge how much it hurt. You know, I recently heard a story of a couple that was struggling with marital uh, unfaithfulness in the area of pornography. And I told the gentleman, I said, look, when you look at pornography and you do this, it's like you're driving the car and you accidentally hit your wife and she's laying in the street. And I know you love her, but you need to get up out of that car, tend to her. You need to ask for forgiveness and she might not want to forgive you, but that's your responsibility. You go minister to her. You go tell her you're sorry. You acknowledge how much it hurt. She's laying in the street and you're the one who did this. Not somebody else. You did this. But because you are a loving husband, you're going to tend to her, right? Yes. Acknowledging means it's serious. It's offensive. It's damaging. It's paralyzing. It'll cripple you. And then an effective apology is, please forgive me. And you leave it hanging. Some people will choose to forgive you. Some people won't. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. Do your end. Ask for forgiveness. Ask somebody to forgive you. Best person you start with is Jesus Christ. Christians are not perfect, but Christians are forgiven. Ask for someone to forgive you. Lastly, I want to encourage you to receive forgiveness. This is where you may feel like that woman that's caught in adultery and you feel maybe, God, I don't know. I've blown it so many times over and over again. Could you really forgive me? Here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, He, that is Jesus, He's faithful. And He is faithful to love and He is just to forgive. Why is He just? Because He paid it all. He went to the cross and lived the life that we should have lived. And He not abolished the law, but fulfilled the law. And He's just and He deals with sin and brokenness and consequences effectively because we have a loving God and we have a just God. And there is good and there is evil and evil must pay the price. And Jesus takes that upon Himself, every wrongdoing, every action. And He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As soon as you blow it, And when you blow it, and as you blow it, let 1 John ring on your lips. Say, Lord, I confess of my sin. I thank you that you're faithful and you are just to forgive me of my sins. And find the cleansing power of the gospel message. Let that be in your home. Let that be in your heart. If you don't figure out how to forgive, you have falsified the gospel message. You have forfeited the greatest remedy of uh, warring nations. You have forfeited the privileges of the good news of Jesus Christ. And receiving forgiveness for your own heart will free you up. See yourself as a saint who sins. See yourself as a son or daughter of the king. That he greatly loves and offers forgiveness 
see yourself as somebody who is worthy of forgiveness, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. I want to encourage you to think about this. I'm going to invite the band up. Is forgiving is absolutely living. If you are a forgiving person, you're truly living. Your family can't afford unforgiving attitudes and actions. Your workplace doesn't function well with an unforgiving, stubborn kind of personality. Your family has been divided long enough for the unforgiveness that has been there. Be a messenger of forgiveness. Forgiving is living. Jesus Christ offered forgiveness for an eternal life for all those who would receive it. Would you receive that today? And might you extend that today? Might you experience that today? In Jesus' name, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the word of forgiveness as you perfectly model it. Lord, you are the most forgiving, loving, and just person. I pray, God, that as we move forward in the days ahead, might we be people who are fully alive, seeing the imperfections of our own self and our sin nature and our struggle, and say thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, might we value people and love people with all their inconsistencies and their incongruencies and extend forgiveness. Free up our hearts, even though our minds may never forget the wrongs done against us. Or we pray that we claim that forgiveness and give that forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.